You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So, uh, if you'll take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. So, if you'll look at the top of the chapter there, um, typically your Bibles will say something to give you an idea of what was happening. We're not going to pick up with this story until we get down to verse 35, and, um, and then we'll drop down to the end of the chapter then, just a few verses. But here's what you need to understand. If you look, look at verse 1, I'm not going to read all these verses. Look at verse 1, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria gathered all his hosts together, and uh, basically they wanted to go down against Israel, Samaria. When you hear the word Samaria, uh, we're talking about the northern kingdom of Israel, and they wanted to come down and fight against Israel and to take them out. Hey guys, they outnumbered them 10 to 1 easily, if not many times more. This wasn't even going to be a battle. Syria was easily going to wipe them out. The king of Syria, his name was Ben-Hadad. Can we say that together? His name was Ben-Hadad. And he wanted to wipe Israel out. And they were, he was sitting under a tent with 32 other kings, drinking and having a party while they're camped against Samaria or Israel, ready to take them out. He sends a message down to the king of Israel, whose name is Ahab. Can you say his name together with me? Ahab. Good or a bad king? Bad. He was a bad king. Nonetheless, he was the king of Israel. And God still loved the uh, principles that lay behind uh, the nation of Israel. And you're going to find God defending them strongly here tonight. So Ben-Hadad, the bad guy up in Syria, says, we're going to come down and wipe you out. Here's what he said. All your wives are mine. All your children are mine. The best stuff in your house, gold and silver, is all mine. And he, uh, Ahab looks around and realizes there's no way to defeat these guys. I might as well surrender. And he sends a message back, okay. And then Ben-Hadad says, send him another message and tell him tomorrow I'm going to send in some of my strongest men. We're going to go through all the houses in Israel and the best of the stuff in their houses. We're also going to take everything that is very, very precious to you. And about this time, Ahab, though he's outnumbered, has said, I've I've had enough of this. And they basically say, we're not going to do that. The prophet comes along and tells Ahab, "Um, I'm going to show you that I am God, that God is God, and I'm going to defeat these armies so that you will know that I am God. And here comes Syria. Little Israel goes out against them and wipes them out. They run home like little pups whimpering. And they get back to their tents, and all the princes of uh, Syria say to their king, you know the reason why they they beat us like that, don't you? Why? Because their God is the God of the hills, and they come running down out of the hills after us, and that's why they were able to take over us. Let's come back at them, uh, you know, another part of the year. We're going to come out uh, against them against the plains or the flatlands. Their God's not a God of the flatlands, and we'll really wipe them out this time. Prophet comes back to Israel, 
says, hey, we're going to wipe them out because I want you to know that God is the Lord. Everybody remember that statement? Because I want you to know that God is the Lord. That's not the exact wording, but that's pretty much what he was telling him. So the Bible says Israel came out of their uh, fortress, and and, uh, it says it looked like two little flocks against a huge army that filled the entire earth as far as they could look and see. It's not going to be good. Uh, Syria is going to wipe them out by all human um, interpretation, and they go out against them and wipe them out again because God is fighting for them. And they chase these guys and they kill thousands and thousands of them. But Ben-Hadad runs into the palace or into a, a little city. He goes into an inner chamber in hiding. Ahab comes upon him in his chariot with all of his armies surrounding him. And some of, uh, some of uh, Ben-Hadad's men said, you know what, I've heard that the kings of Israel are somewhat sympathetic. Why don't we go out and try to show some see if they can show us some sympathy. So his princes, they, they put on sackcloth and ashes and ropes on their heads. I've studied and studied to try to figure out what the ropes represented. And, and it, just uh, suffice it to say they represented some act of humility or it could represent what they knew Israel could do to them to use ropes to hang them or whatever it was. What you need to know and understand, they came out looking very ragged, Uh, and and torn and very humbled and uh, they basically came out and said would you please have mercy Uh, Ben Hadad is asking would you please spare his life and you have to go back and read the story it's really a tremendous chapter in the Bible to read so here's Ahab king of Israel looks up at them and says is Ben Hadad still alive he's my brother now, is anybody else here? I'm telling you just pretty much the way it happened. Does that make anybody else's eyebrows raise a little bit? He's my brother. Uh, like, like, we're buds. What are you talking about? He was trying to wipe you and all Israel out. He's going to take all your wives. He's going to take all the men in your kingdom's wives and their children and make them slaves and was going to try to kill as many as they possibly could. And now God has given a great victory. And here you are standing and ready to wipe out the, the head of the kingdom, which would actually finish off what God had wanted to happen. And now you're saying, he's my brother? And so Ben-Hadad comes crawling out like, you going to be okay with me? And uh, Ahab says, yeah, come on up in my chariot. I can just see him up there. He puts his arm around him. We're going to be buds. It's going to be okay. And Ben-Hadad's like, whoa, you know what? We're going to give you back all the kingdoms we stole from you in the past. And we're going to let you build streets right through the middle of Damascus and name them after you and so forth. Wow, we're good friends, aren't we? That's not in the Bible, but you know it's in the background. And kind of making me kind of sick. And ought to make every one of us sick. So with all that going on, and with Ahab really, really, really messing up, here's his opportunity to truly wipe the enemy out. And he lets him go. Makes friends with him. And he develops um, a covenant, a pact with him. Craziest thing in the world. Now drop down into verse 35 with that story in the background. Here's what happens after that. And God's going to try to, like we said this morning, ring this guy's bell, okay? 
So in verse 35, after everything we just said has just happened, you see just up above that, he made this covenant with him. And then in verse 35, listen to this now, and see what God did. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, that's a great phrase to underline, said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee, and the man refused to smite him. Hey guys, look up here. Uh, We don't say smite me um, tonight, uh, and typically we don't ask anybody to to hit us. Uh, Usually we walk up to somebody else if we're you know, a couple of teenage boys and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch you. And what he was saying to him is, punch me really hard. Just hit me as hard as you can. And the guy looks at him and says, you know, and, and the Bible is clear. Listen, he was speaking in the name of the Lord. He was speaking the word of the Lord. And that was known to the neighbor. But he says to his neighbor, hit me as hard as you can. I'm speaking in the name of the Lord. And he's like, I, I'm not going to hit you. I have no reason to hit you and to smite you, all right? Uh, So at the end of verse 35, he says, and the man refused to smite him. Verse 36, then said he unto him, because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, whoa, this is a big one, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Wow. You say, all because he wouldn't punch him? Everybody look up here. All because he just wouldn't punch him? Really? How many believes that's the reason he was slain by the lion? Because he wouldn't punch the other guy. Mm. The reason was because it was uh, a command from God and he disobeyed God. It wasn't about punching the guy. It was about uh, being obedient to the command of the Lord. Verse 37. So he tries it again. Then he found another man and said, smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him. He said, you want me to punch you? I'll punch you. So that in smiting, he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king. This is Ahab, by the way, and disguised himself with ashes uh, upon his face. Now there's another story coming up. So listen very carefully. And as the king passed by, here comes the king. That prophet sees him coming. The prophet, who's disguised now, he cried unto the king. And he said, thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, keep this man. In other words, guard him. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life. Or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver, which is about $500 today. So in other words, I brought, a, I brought a, uh, um, an enemy soldier here to you, and I want you to guard this guy. And by the way, if you let him go, his life, uh, your life for his, or you can pay a talent of silver or $500, okay? So that was important to understand as well. So now look in verse 40. And he continues to talk to the king. And as thy servant, or him, was busy here and there, I kind of got caught up doing a bunch of things, you know, I looked around and noticed he was gone. And the king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself hast decided it. You knew what the score was, and you knew what the rules and the guidelines were. You decided your own judgment. That's what he just said to him. Now verse 41. 
And he hasted this young prophet and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. Now he recognizes him as being one of those prophets. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. That was Ben-Hadad. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria, his home palace. Let's have a prayer there tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word again this evening. I'm grateful uh, to be back in the word of God, and I pray tonight, Lord, you'll bless the preaching of the word to your glory and honor. I'm asking again, may the Holy Spirit minister especially to the hearts of our graduates here tonight, and I would ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If I could just say this to you guys as graduates, that I, I hope you'll listen and take this very personally tonight, and it's a, it's a message for all of us. It's obvious there are principles here for all, every one of us, but especially as you head out into um, your service or whatever it is you're going to be doing, for God's sake, please let God speak to your heart about this tonight. It's a very simple title to the message tonight, God's Will or Mine. God's will or mine. You could even put it God's way or my way, but I think the best way to say it is God's will or mine. Some people view serving God like this. Uh, One day they realize maybe a, a message has been preached or They were reading the Word of God, and they realized, you know, my life should be a a bit more dedicated to God. And listen, here's what they'll do. They'll go to the Lord, and they'll say, God, I I want to lay my, my life out before you, God. Take and use me as much as you'd like to use me. And here's what they don't realize a lot of times what they're really saying is, God, here's part of my life. Take this part of my life. They don't say this, and sometimes they don't even realize this. But you take this part of my life. But I'm going to hold on to these areas here. This is still my life. And this part of my life, I'm going to live it the way I want to live this, this uh, life. But God, you've got part of me. I mean, hey man, this is more than you had before. And uh, so, we don't say these things, but you, you should be really glad you've got a part of my life now. And so, I, I'm at church or I'm with uh, you know, other Christians and I, I, I serve you. And it becomes an easy thing now because I have dedicated this part of my life to the Lord. But when I'm off on my own... Uh, with this part of my life, I, I can serve God the way I, I, I want to. It's, hey, listen, it's my choice. I can decide in this part of my life if I think that serving God this way is going way too far, or if I can just kind of back off a little bit and do a little bit of my way and a little bit of God's way. Without realizing it, I've got this uneasy feeling in my heart that most of Christianity without realizing it, lives their lives that very way. Uh, The danger with that person that we just talked about is that when they begin serving God, sometimes the their part of life that is still their life, you know, that part that, you know, I'll still make some of my own choices over here, mixes up the signals from God and they begin to do God's will their way. It's a very, very dangerous place to get to. Uh, It affected Ahab in an unbelievable way. What God is looking for tonight, by the way, is for somebody to come before the Lord, come down to an altar, lay their life out before God, and say something like this. Anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. 
Every part of my life is God's. Not a little bit of me and a, and a little bit of God. God's looking for that person who will lay it all out before him. So notice how this, had a, this kind of an attitude affected Ahab. First of all, you'll notice where Ahab became more interested in his own feelings than in the will of God. And I want to show you that if you go back up into verses 32 and 33. Could you go back up into the chapter just a little bit? Is everybody there? Look in verse 32. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads. These are the servants of Ben-Hadad, the, the king of Syria. And they came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, please let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? Notice what he says. He's my brother. Oh, sick. Now, verse 33. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. In other words, they were on the edge of their seat trying to catch any hint of mercy. And they said, thy brother Ben-Hadad. In other words, yep, he's still alive. He is thy brother. Then he said, go ye, bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came forth to him and he caused him, guys, do you see this? Caused him to come up into the chariot. Oh my goodness, Verse 34, Ben-Hadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore, and thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, right through the middle of our city, as, thy, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. Wow, guys, oh my goodness. Can you believe how this is really playing out? Somehow, these... This humble look of Ben-Hadad's servants and their trembling voices did something to Ahab's emotions. Ahab looks up, he's got his sword and spear ready to wipe these guys out, and here comes these guys walking out, all afraid and humble and ashes, and their clothes are all tattered now, and whatever the ropes were to represent on their head, and they come walking out, and they're walking real sheepishly, and Ahab sees that, and he's like, hmm, hmm. Don't look like such mean guys. They look so bad after all. And goodness, look how humble they're acting, you know. It's a strange way for Ahab to be acting, by the way. But, but pity rose up in his heart, and mercy worked on him. Uh, and, and I mean, you read the next chapter in this same uh, book here, you're going to find Ahab going out against uh, Naboth in his vineyard and, and being willing to wipe him out just so he can have his little... Uh, herb garden i mean no mercy whatsoever and here he is with a wicked king and showing this kind of mercy it drives me crazy to think how back and forth some of our minds can be so guys listen to this in a moment that he you know ahab would have probably called i'm just showing some kindness and mercy isn't that what christians are supposed to be about after all aren't we supposed to be you know love the brethren uh, and and show mercy and show kindness and that's just, I kind of got caught up with that. And um, so God's plan was to defeat the enemy, not to make friends with the enemy that wanted to rob Israel of all their belongings and riches and their wives and their children. The end of verse 28 tells us God's desire in defeating Syria was so Israel would know that he was the Lord. And that was God's desire. Wipe all of these guys out. And you'll stand back and say, how did we kill such a great enemy as that? And they'll have to look at each other and know that it wasn't because of us. 
There's only one reason this could have happened, because he is the Lord. And that's what God wanted in their lives. By the way, that's what God wants in our lives here tonight, is everything God does to and through and for us is so that we will know that he is the Lord. He is the God. He is greater than anything on this earth. And everything that God allows to work in our lives, whether it looks like it's working against us or for us, God is driving so that we'll know and understand that He is the Lord. And yet somehow, Ahab's mercy and pity rose up inside of him. His feelings got the better of him. And he didn't carry out the command of God. He thought he had a better plan. It's that part of his life where, here's my whole life, God, but over here, you know, it's part me and part you, and and what looks good to me, this is how I'm going to operate in my life. That's exactly what he did. So God had to teach Ahab a lesson with that prophet there in verses 35 and 36. Look up here, guys. 35 and 36 is where that prophet said, go to his neighbor, said, punch me as hard as you can. And he was speaking in the name of the Lord, and it's written in such a way to that makes you think that his neighbor knew that it was a word from the Lord. And so he says, you know, smite me as hard as you can. He's like, I don't have anything against you. I mean, why should I hit you? I don't want to wound you. You know I could hurt you really bad. I know that, but smite me. I'm not going to do that. Craziest thing in the world. No way. Now, guys, here's here's what his neighbor's got to be thinking. You're my neighbor. We've lived next door to each other. I mean, we, we've, we've shared bread together. When I was in trouble, you came and helped me. Uh, when, when you were in trouble, I came and helped you. Our, our kids play together. You know, we're, we're buds. Why would you want me to punch someone like you? And what he's missing, the whole point was that he was missing was, it was God telling him to do so. He was going to show him a a picture of the command of God and how critical it is to be obedient to God. Listen, no matter how your feelings are feeling on the inside, no matter if it looks right to you or not, if it's from the Lord and if God has commanded me to do something, whether I feel right about it or not, if it's in the Word of God and I know it was God leading me, then do what God has told you to do. And that young prophet said, "I'm I'm not going to do it. And he says, listen, because you were disobedient to the word of the Lord, when you leave here, a lion's going to find you. And sure enough, that's what happened. He left that place and went walking on out, and a lion met him, took his life. What does the Bible tell us that Satan loves to do, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he is after every one of us tonight. Let me tell you who he loves to find in the street. I'll tell you who Satan loves to see walking out of their house or stepping out of church or walking out of the workplace. He loves to see this kind of a guy walking out. A guy who has said, I just think that this is the way I ought to live my life, but he knows in his heart A message had been preached from the Word of God and he knew that his own feelings weren't exactly right because it went against the Word of God. Or he read it in the Bible himself or he knew in his heart what the Bible says about this subject and yet his own feelings got in the way and he began to operate on his own feelings and here comes that guy walking out of the church, walking out of his house, he's stepping out of his car and the devil's looking around saying, I've been walking about seeking whom I may devour. Can't get that Christian, he's walking with God. Can't get that Christian, he's walking with the Lord. And there's somebody who's living for himself. 
who's making his own thoughts and his own feelings. And he says to himself, it just feels like this is the right thing to do. And what we don't realize, when you walk away from the perfect will of God, a lion will meet you in the street and he'll attack you every time. So he's trying to show us that and make it very clear to us. If I could just challenge us here tonight, graduates and everyone here tonight, please do not shove the will of God aside for something that just seems like a better way to you. Don't take what God has made very clear to you, and you guys have been raised in a Christian home, every one of you, and I look at your lives and I think of your own moms and your dads, and I know the prayer and the tears that they have shed for you and the desire that they have that God would bring you up in a godly Christian way. You know the way to walk with the Lord, and I challenge you tonight, don't shove the will of God aside for something that just seems so right to me. How can something that feels so good be so wrong. I mean, I can find verses in the Bible that kind of back up my feelings. And I I will just say this to all of us. We all know that we can find verses in the Bible that seem to back up my own backslidden ways. Everybody understand that tonight? Sure we can. But you know in the bottom of your heart, this isn't right. I cannot walk away from the truth of what I know to be true. Don't shove God's perfect will out so that I can have part of my will and part of God's will. I'm just going to tell you, it's not part your will and part God's will. It's all yours. And it has nothing to do with God if we're going to live our lives that way. Number two, God has to strip Ahab's cover up to show him that he knew the principles that were at play. He goes to Ahab and he, he takes away this, um, you know, he's my bud, he's my friend, and, and him feeling like, you know, this is really okay. God strips all that baloney away and shows him the principles that really are at play. In verses 37 to 42, we're not going to read it again, you can listen to this. Remember what he did? That same prophet that told his neighbor, hey, punch me. Uh, he had another guy punch him so hard it wounded him. And then he went and he disguised himself. And he ran out onto the battlefield where Ahab had been fighting against all these Syrians. And he knew Ahab was going to be coming back this way. He kind of planted himself in the right spot. And uh, as Ahab came up, he kind of runs out into the way and he says, Hey, hey, listen to what I got to say. And his soldiers probably drew their swords and spears and got around this guy. And like, what do you have to say? And he looks up at the king and he says, "Uh, I got a really bad story to tell you. There's a guy that was, we were fighting and This guy comes up and says, I've got an enemy soldier. Uh, You're in charge of watching him. And he says, if you lose this guy, your life for his, if if he's lost. And he said, man, I got so busy. I was all caught up. I was doing other things. And while I was doing those other things, I turned around. The guy was gone. And he looks at him like, what do I do? And Ahab looks at him like, you've pronounced your own judgment. You knew the principles that were at play here. You knew it was going to cost you your life if you lost him. And knowing the rules, you still just kind of played around with something that was very, very critical in your life. You treated it very lightly. You got caught up in other little things. And here is something that represents your own life. If you lose this very thing, it was an enemy soldier. And it was your responsibility. And if you choose to become irresponsible and you think other things in life become more important than the most important thing in your life, you know the rules. Now, 
we're going to live by the rules. It's going to cost you dearly. That's exactly what the prophet wanted to hear Ahab say. So when Ahab, and he saw and understood, Ahab, you know this, don't you? You know the principles. You know the rules of engagement. You know the rules of war. So the young prophet clears off his disguise. I don't know how he was fully disguised. But as he rubbed off the ashes or whatever it was he had disguised himself with, Ahab looks and goes, you're one of the sons of the prophets, aren't you? Yep, I am. And he looks at him and pretty much says this, what I've been saying all along. You knew the rules of engagement. You knew that this war was for the glory of God. You knew that this war was not about you and and, and your choices in life and, and what you decided you would want to do, like sparing the life of the king. God wanted his uh, glory brought to his name by you being perfectly obedient in this matter. And you chose, rather than the most important thing in your life, giving glory to God, you chose to dabble in other things in life that were not nearly as important as the number one thing, which was the name of the Lord would be proclaimed and God would be the Lord in your life. You chose to make friendship with an enemy king. You chose to think that other things in life, like making friends with him, like, you know, paving streets with your name on them, going through the enemy territory and thinking that you're really something great. You thought that other little things in life had more importance and had greater bearing on your life than the most important thing. And you've lost sight of what God wanted in the first place, and that was give God the glory in everything that you do. He said, it's going to cost you something, Ahab. It's going to cost you your life. And you know the rest of the story if you've read your Bible. Ahab humbled himself, and God had mercy on Ahab. And it didn't happen to him in his lifetime, but in his generations to come. Man, the mercy of God, I I can't believe and understand the great mercy of the Lord, but I'm very thankful for it. So graduates, if I can say this tonight, as you head out into the world to do whatever it is that God is leading you to do, please remember God's plan for your life is not a little bit of what I think and a little bit of what God says is right. Don't become guilty of allowing your feelings and your emotions to determine what your actions are going to be when you're under pressure. Well, it just seems like, I, I, it really felt like I should do this when there's very clear teaching of the Word of God. Otherwise, do not let your emotions and your feelings dictate how you're going to live your life. Two different times, Solomon, the wisest man in, on earth, looked at his son in the book of Proverbs and told him, son, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And what might seem right to you, as strong as those other feelings might be, and what other little things that have caught your attention, rather than the most important thing in life, you just need to know and understand it might seem right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And if a man continues to live his life and head on down that kind of a path, that's what can be the end of a man's life if he determines they're going to live life my way. I don't need somebody else telling me how to live my life. Please don't try to disguise your disobedience.
to try to make it look like something good when all along your heart, in your heart, you know without doubt what's right and what's wrong. God never allows us to do a wrong, <clears throat> to do a wrong to accomplish a right. He, he doesn't even allow us to do a good thing if it bypasses or replaces something God has clearly led us to do. So I want to challenge us tonight, graduates, please, and every person here tonight. Lay your life out before God and give God everything, all that I am, anytime, anywhere, any place. I am all yours. If you'll take someone like me and use me, God will lead your life in a way that's, number one, pleasing to him and will be the greatest blessings you could ever have in this life. Could we just maybe tonight search our own hearts and ask God to show us if we're living life our way instead of a path that we know that we ought to be walking on tonight? The question is, God's will or mine? God's will or mine? Whose will it be? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.